Hey, this is Mark A. Altman of the 430 Movie. I'm here with Steve Melching, Darren Dockerman, Ashley Miller. You know, and if you want to know what Ashley's pick out of the box is, you owe it to yourself to watch the 430 Movie live. You should see the expressions. The live only on way tape. to understand the kinds of faces we're making when Ashley does Wednesday right. is to watch us on Electric Now. It's one thing to hear us, but <laughs> you can't see the expressions on our face. You can't hear disbelief. Yeah. Coming right. soon, our new podcast, Ashley Does Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Ash wow. Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. <laughs> Hello, this is not really Gene Roddenberry, but uh, if it were, uh, I would urge you to... Uh, listen and watch the inglorious Trexperts, because uh, who knows, maybe it'll uh, bring in more income. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman from Inglorious Trexperts in the 430 movie. And if you're a James Bond fan, you want to pick up my new book, Nobody Does It Better, the complete uncensored oral history of James Bond and Spy Mania. It's a hefty tome, and it's available now wherever you purchase books, audiobooks, and digital. Check it out. And I will renew your license to kill personally. And welcome back to Best Movies Never Made. The podcast where we talk about in- interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. As always, I am your co-host, Josh Miller. And with me also, as always, is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How you doing today, Josh? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Beautiful. It is now 2020, uh, yeah. and we're returning to finish up the fourth <laughs> part in our epic series that no one really asked for about Super Mario <laughs> Brothers, the movie. And joining us again are my writing partner, Pat Casey and Mr. Alan Denton. Hello, Josh. This is Pat. <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, this is Alan. Hey. <laughs> That's your podcast voice. Um, so... Just for those listening at home, if this episode maybe doesn't feel totally in step with the previous oh. three, it's because we recorded those uh, weeks ago. Oh, you're pulling back the curtain. 2019. Because <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm like Penn and Teller. I want people to know how the magic is done. Um, and so, Steve, why don't you bring us, all of us, uh, back up to speed to where we left off on this grueling journey. Yeah, quick recap. Um, so Roland, Joff- Roland Joffe, the producer of The Mission and The Killing Fields, he flew to Japan to Nintendo headquarters and convinced the president to give him pr- and his producing partner the rights and half their asking price for the Super Mario Brothers movie. And they got it. And first up was the writer of Rain Man, Barry Morrow, but his draft was too serious. Then next up... I believe is our first or second episode uh, was all about the Greg Beanan version, the director of License to Drive, and he worked with Jim Genowine and Tom S. Parker, who wrote Stay Tuned. Uh, and that was the one that we all kind of agreed seemed like the Mario movie you would expect yeah. and that fans probably wanted. Yeah. Yeah, it was colorful and felt with like- piranha the, plants and all the yes. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the so, Mario stuff. And so, yeah, they spent around $7 million on that one, possibly, and then it, they said it was too childish, and then they moved on to... It's a game for children. <laughs> <laughs> it's for five-year-olds. Yes. 
right, I'm sorry. Go on. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> I just said it's mind-boggling how stupid that is. Okay, so they canned Jeff Beenan and both writers to bring in the directors Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jenkel, who did the Max Hedrum show for the BBC and the Meg Ryan Dennis Quaid movie DOA. And then they brought on writers Parker Bennett and Terry Runty from Mystery Date, that uh, Ethan Hawke movie. And they did a nine page treatment, which we t- touched on, and a what they're calling a Ghostbusters inspired first draft, which they handed in on February 19th, 1992. And they did their best to reference the game in that draft. And Terry Runty would say, We turned in the first draft, and the producer, who is a sweet guy, Fred Caruso, he came in as nicely as humanly possible and said, theoretically, how quick could you pack everything and get out of this office? <laughs> <laughs> and we were done, Terry Runty yeah. said. And then that's where we left off. For now, we are coming up to the directors who are aiming now for a more Tim Burton Batman take with a dark edge. And the director, Rocky Martin, said, I decided to use the game as an influence. And they wanted to make a more of an origin story for the brothers. And now they brought in two writers, Dick Clemente and Ian Laflinet, who wrote the movie The Commitments. And th- Pat and I both like quite a bit. Yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, uh, it, it is a good movie. Well, they were like big time BBC guys and wrote stage plays and stuff. So they were kind of they were packing some some heat. And they're kind of on the classy side. Yeah. yeah. Do you see any overlap between the commitments and a Super Mario Brothers? No. no. <laughs> well, <laughs> Very little, acor- other than uh, Bob Hoskins is British. Well, but. according to Jenkels, she says they were brought on because of their brilliant relationship work they've done with male characters. And I guess they wanted to... Wow, they can write men. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so they were, I think they were going more for like, let's figure out these two brothers type of a script. And so these two scripts we're going to be discussing today, it looks like these are the ones the directors were all gung-ho about doing. So, um, yeah, and I guess that brings us up to the March 3rd, 1992 draft. And it's always funny when you hear people's, like, intentions, like, after the fact. Because the idea of, like, this is going to be an origin story where everything we've done so far on... Was origin story. Yeah, every single draft mm-hmm. like, has all been the same. None of these began with Mario just living in the Mushroom Kingdom, and he's been there for God knows how long, yeah. stomping on Goombas. Well, and what a nothing statement where they said we're going to use the games as an inspiration. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what did you option if you're? Yeah. Yeah, we'll consider the aspects of the games. I just really like the name Mario. <laughs> um, all right, so let's dive in to this script here. Uh, where do I got that one? So, and for any unmade movie fans who've kind of been aware of this stuff for years, this is the one that online is referred to as the Die Hard draft. Um, even though... as in, as in Bruce Willis Die Hard? Yes. Okay. Or <laughs> <Are> not, you, <laughs> I thought you meant, maybe meant like Die Hard fans oh, love yeah. this draft. Oh. No, that's never going to. Okay. In fact, we're just going to keep moving further away. 
from the and well, as we keep going through these drafts now, because like what we're this episode's all very much just going to be. This is basically what the movie was, but it keeps kind of sliding further and further away from maybe what the movie should have been, and also starts displaying a lot of what I would call like script drift, which is just for like a character or a name or some plot device just kind of slowly is moving around from draft to draft mm. sort of inexplicably where now this character mm. had this other character's name and whatnot uh, but it's basically mm. the same the, the setup's all the same uh now in this one daisy's a uh, waitress at a fancy restaurant um uh, this one they're testing out the idea that rather than being all like butt hurt, Mario is actually like a ladies' man. Uh, the movie begins; he's just dumped a girl named Karen, of which he says like two dates, and she wants me to meet her family. When that happens, I'm gone. <laughs> this um, guy sounds pretty cool. Yeah, um, and he's now going on a date with Daniela, who, if you recall from last time, uh, is the character from the movie who. They're dating, and then she like gets kidnapped, and but who but cares? But it like doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't to the matter. Anyway. Yeah. Um. And while they're on the date, uh, Eddie Scarpelli, who's now they finally start. He's calling calling him Scapelli, who's kind of the like sort of ambiguous gangster slash rival plumber. Uh, he shows up now. Danielle is his sister. If you remember last time, he was her. He was Eddie's daughter, who was. Her kidnapping was just one of the like several bad things that happened it's like to him. I broke that day. a shoelace. My daughter's kidnapped. <laughs> yeah. Oy, Mondays. <laughs> uh, this we got, we got the idea that Eddie wants Mario to flood the dig site where Daisy works. Um, they're gonna do it. All this stuff happens here. Daisy uh, gives her umbrella to Daniela, which is why she gets kidnapped. Um, Blah, blah, blah. They're all in the tunnel. Mario's down there with some goon flooding it. Luigi's there with Daisy on, like, a date. Um, the rock portal that they get sucked through. This draft has, like, a weird character called a custodian that they first meet when they get down there that I kind of assumed was going to be relevant in called some way. Called a custodian or he is a custodian? He's called a custodian and I guess is a custodian. Is he, like, a creature or he's just a guy wearing overalls? Uh, basically a guy. I think, as we mentioned last time, I feel like even though they don't specify a ton in this and who knows what really would have happened, I feel like each draft gets further away from the idea that the denizens of the Mushroom Kingdom like look in any way like creatures. Yeah. Right. They're basically just humans, and then eventually there's just the Goombas who are their own separate thing. Um, when Daisy gets there... She sees a bunch of people doing drugs. Uh, this is a quote oh, here. No. She sees wasted bodies and wasted faces. She sees a long pipe being passed from hand to hand, lips sucking on it, what sunken eyes waiting anxiously for their hit. This is it's, you didn't picture this when you played the, most, the Mario well, first games. Of all, that's the most sultry description of doing <laughs> yeah. drugs I've ever I've ever heard. But like again, this is this is for five year olds. Not I anymore. Like, I guess this is the 90s, but in the 80s, a lot of children's entertainment was I like all it. about demonizing mm-hmm. drugs, you know, very special issues of Spider-Man and stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, and let's not forget three men and a baby, the element no one remembers and that's that the whole reason they have the baby <laughs> is because the mom is hiding from like 
drug lords. And I mean, it turned out there was like a giant brick of yeah. heroin like in the baby basket or something. In the basket. Yeah. yeah, and oh the entire God. end of that movie is like an 80s action movie sequence where they're fighting at uh, Tom Selleck's like construction site. Classic like, 80s fight <laughs> uh, location. That was the number one movie of the year, by the yes. way. Yes, yeah. directed yeah. by Leonard Nimoy. Which is... <laughs> insane <laughs> actually I think one of the drug dealers they're fighting if I'm remembering correctly is the guy who plays Wilson on Home Improvement oh fun mm. fact <laughs> and, and then yeah don't forget like I did say Tim Burton's Batman also Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a big movie and that was considered dark darkness is hot so I guess that's what they were probably I don't know <laughs> but I don't think those either one of those movies had drugs so, <laughs> or, yeah, Ninja Turtles was very much for kids, but kind of like had the look of a darker movie, which like mm-hmm. worked, like kind of tricked you as a kid. You're like, ooh, this is no, cool. I'm and watching ready. some yeah. serious stuff. Yeah, a little disturbing. I can't say as a kid that I wanted that. I tolerated it because I wanted a Ninja Turtles <laughs> movie, but I just had to get it with that weird Batman vibe. <laughs> <laughs> You I was preferred just a turtles movie that was mostly just them well, yeah, hanging out like eating the, pizza. Yeah, the cartoon. That's yeah. all I wanted. More pizza eating. Um, so this one, so Luigi has the like pendant that Daisy'd had, you know, growing up, all that magic-y stuff, relic from the Mushroom Kingdom. And this, though, it is stolen by a female cop named Gloria when they're being processed in the police station after getting arrested. If you remember, that was already in the previous draft. The police um, station in the real world or in the, in the Mushroom, in the mushroom Kingdom? kingdom. Like okay. We're all in the Mushroom okay. Kingdom now. Um, and Gloria is eventually going to become the character from the movie named Big Bertha as these drafts keep okay. evolving. And Big Bertha was like the big black lady in the club who gives them the magic boots. And who stole right. the like pendant yeah. from them, but like just she's, on the street yeah, she's in the a actual movie. friend. Yeah, very somewhat suddenly, inexplicably, yeah. In her two scenes. And, and she's inspired by that big fish, right? The Big Bertha fish. Oh, right. Like, oh, talking yeah. about... <laughs> so. Like, just the way they're using the, like, character names and stuff. Yeah, it's, like, the game, the game doesn't have any dialogue or text, even, the first few games. Like, now they have some text. She's in the other castle. That's basically it. But it's, like, the thing, these movies, yeah, it's, like, using, like, the names of Goomba and Big Bertha, like, names that are not in the games. Like, you only know these words from, like, Nintendo Power. (laughs) In the game, they're they're only (laughs) images, so you don't have any emotional attachment to these words. You only have emotional (laughs) attachment to the images, and the movie doesn't give you any of the images. They only give you these words that are essentially meaningless. Uh, hey kids, did you read the manual that came with Super Mario <laughs> One? Well, good news, we used the names. Yeah, the game, the movie's not based on the game; it's based on the manual. Well, and the perfect example of that is the character of Toad from all these drafts and the finished movie, where his name is Toad, but looks and acts nothing mm-hmm. like Toad from the game. So it's like, mm-hmm. what was the point? Yeah. They could have at least given him like a fun little vest, like Toad wears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something. And he loves... That would have saved the picture. Yes. Well, yeah. It's a harmonica instead. So. Um, and speaking of what I was talking about, uh, a script drift, this draft has a character named Hark, which I don't expect you guys necessarily to remember, but that was just the name. Remember that crazy sequence we read of the like golf tournament yeah. they were playing? Yeah. That was just like one of the like rich aristocrats who's friends with Koopa who was like playing in the tournament. And for some reason, they just liked the name Hark, even though, and maybe I'm wrong, I don't think that's a name from any of the games. Um, and now he's just, uh, he's like the, 
nice Goomba who's like helping Daisy while she's a prisoner in Koopa's Tower. So the equivalent of Toad in the eventual movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, and this one also has a character named Bluber, who's just like a middle middle management jerk off. Pretty good name though. Yeah, yeah Bluber. Um, and this one also has like a weird kind of Mad Max element to it. Uh, and this is a scene here we can read. Um, I think you might have a line in this as well, Steve. Um, and this is set up. This is they're they're out to capture. The Mario Brothers, who've now like escaped from prison and on the run, uh, and there's just a. Uh, well, let's just get into it. So. Angle on helicopter. On the side, we read the markings KBC. A door slides open, but it's not a gun that sticks out. It's a news. It's a news crew's video cam, and we see its lens focusing. Aerial shot of the brothers running, running and tumbling down the dew, and they're outside the city, out in the desert. Interior boom boom bar. Inner city day. It's a long bar, very basic, with a long row of metal stools and shabby booths. Even though it's early in the day, the place has several groups hunkered at the bar over yards of ale and carny burgers. I don't really know what that means. Burgers are already carnivores. Yeah, burgers, but they're meat. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? Hey, these guys are bad news. They're, they're, they're meat-based Impossible Burgers. <laughs> it's looped all the way back around. Uh, several of them are in uniform. This is a hangout of off-duty cops and Goombas. On the giant TV screen, we see an aerial shot of Mario and Luigi running across the desert. Announcer: The aliens are spotted at dawn this morning, but were spotted at dawn this morning. But President Koopa held off the militia. Uh, search held off the militia search teams. In the interests of healthy competition and fair play, he decided to make their capture a sporting event. This gets a growl of interest from the drinkers. Among them, we recognize Gloria, the cop who processed Luigi and stole the pendant. Hey, I processed those guys. The young one gave me this. From her tunic, she pulls Daisy's crystal. Even in the dingy bar, it glows with a special aura. It's real nice, Gloria. You should get a nose ring to match. Gloria takes exception to this. Uh, hey! <laughs> she short arms the cop. He doesn't see it coming and flies back off his, dar- his bar stool. Resume TV screen. Morton and Wendy are at the starting grid. Exterior starting grid. The place looks like an abandoned military base. The area is filled with an assortment of desert vehicles, from dune buggies to tanks. The drivers' uniforms are as bizarre and individual as their vehicles. Helmets, fatigues, leather jackets, bandanas, wrist spikes, uh, cartridge belts, noise and dust as competitors tune their engines and make their last-minute adjustments. In complete contrast, we find the sports presenters, Morton and Wendy, who we may remember from the previous draft dressed and pressed and tressed they wear matching smiles and blazers with kbc logos on their breast pockets and their microphones tough to hear myself over the roar of these machines but excitement's pretty intense wouldn't you say wendy that's right mort it's an open field with two-man teams from the police the goombas the fire department the snake pit mental asylum and i believe there's even a team from death row Yes, big day for them. And let's remind you of the rules. There really aren't any more, except to bring the aliens in alive. Aside from that, it's going to be a blood fest, folks. They can maim, they can kill, they can blow each other's hands off, heads off. We're going to take a break now, then we'll be back for KBC's Violent World of Sports. 
angle on one of the machines as improvised dune buggies strung together with leather straps and cable over rusting metal plates. The two drivers are bent over their engine fixing something. When they straighten up, we recognize Iggy and Spike. They're wearing matching Formula One type coveralls embroidered with sponsors' stickers. We pull this off, Spike. We're back in favor. Our slate is clean. Let's skin the snake, dude. Exterior desert. The brothers are heading towards the city, but they cast ancient glasses, glances above them where the KBC helicopter is still hovering. They're exhausted, dehydrated. Their lips cracked and parched. Mario is carrying the shotgun from the police Jeez. car. <laughs> oh my God! They react. The middle distance, or in the middle distance, they see a shimmering cloud like a locust storm. They shield their eyes against the smoggy glare. Oh, I hope that's a mirage. But it isn't. They start to hear the sound now. The deep-throated roar of engines. A moment later, the front runners appear through a cloud of dust. Holy cow! We're chewed, screwed, and tattooed. Are we giving up that easy? Shit, no. <laughs> he cocks oh. the shotgun, <laughs> cradles it in his arms, and they start to march resolutely towards the oncoming armada. So, uh, and then there's this whole crazy chase, and there's like people dying and stuff. There's the... Mario brandishing a shotgun and, yeah. uh, and cursing. Well, and Mario. Yeah, some of the people in the chase are like death row inmates. They let out to hunt them down, and when like one of their cars blows up and they all die, uh, one of the announcers is like, and the and the boys from Death Row just bought it. At least that saves the state some juice. It's um, true. Are again, the Hammer Brothers part one of these teams? That feels like a good way to work them in. I don't think they are. Fools. <laughs> I mean, I feel like this is you know when they say like just go nuts on this draft and don't don't worry about anything. Just go as crazy as you want. This is they shouldn't have followed that advice. This is too nuts. <laughs> I mean, they always tell you that, and you, sh- and you, it's never a good idea to actually do it. God, it reminds me of the pod race from episode one in a way, too. It's so bizarre. <laughs> uh, and then there's like a whole thing where they, kind of like in the movie, where they encounter Spike and Iggy, and like Spike and Iggy almost have them captured, but then the brothers sink into quicksand, and it's like they're dead, but then we cut to like an underground pit, and they fall down there. Okay, and that, that's like uh, Very Super Rise Mario of Skywalker. 2. Well, I was going to say Super <laughs> Mario 2. Oh, yeah. You can, or maybe, also, also in 3, I think, there's some secret like quicksand Yeah, areas. where you're like, oh no, I'm doomed, and then... And then you just kind of sink, sink, sink down so into a... So things inspired by the game, as, yeah. as they're saying. Mm-hmm. But in here, Toad is a uh, chameleon-like creature who, when they meet him, you know, it's like the rock wall dissolves and then suddenly uh, turns into Toad. You get classic Toad. Yeah, classic <laughs> Toad. <laughs> it's my favorite thing about Toad <laughs> is the way that he... Uh, his camouflage skills? Yeah, his camouflage skills. I like his vest. <laughs> yeah, you're still going to that one, huh? Yeah. <laughs> vest. Well, and in Mario 2, his whole power was just that he could pull out, like, turnips from the ground faster than the other... Oh, is that what he did? Yeah. And I feel like he maybe accelerated the fastest side to side of the characters. Huh. His stumpy little legs. Yeah. I was just going princess all day. Yeah. Because she could fly. The the floaty power. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Spike and Iggy are left for dead. Some more sand eels. I think they were in the previous one. Um, Dune inspired. Yeah, and kind of stuff (laughs) like from the final movie where they go to the boom boom bar to get the crystal back from Gloria. Um, Lena, you know, remember, is like Koopa's sort of sexy, weird... His Mrs. Tessmacher, yeah, kind exactly. of. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say whatever you'd call sort of sidekick, but... 
Um, also foil in some strange ways. Uh, Mario wants to dance with Lena. He's got like awesome super dance moves. <laughs> Mario <laughs> does? Yeah. Um, Iggy's pointing out now that they're helping them. Uh, that Lena is like able to psychic psychically communicate with the Goombas. So while she's like dancing with Mario, the Goombas are all like s- circling around them on the dance floor. Um, and Mario doesn't notice because he's dancing. Or I think he's just yeah he's just so into his uh, super moves. Remember he's like a ladies' man in this version. Oh, right. Just beating the ladies off with a plunger. That's so confusing. <laughs> they're they're such deliberate ideas. But they, none of them make any sense to me. Well, in this one, keeping up with our Mad Maxi thing, this also has sort of a uh, John Wick sequel element where there's a TV bulletin and Cooper puts out five million coupons, as their money is called, <laughs> <laughs> uh, to capture the Mario Brothers. Um, and then we get to our, so this is kind of the diehard one. I guess this is the diehard part, uh, is that they have to break into the Koopa Twin Towers, and they start in the boiler room and have to, like, work their way up. And there's still basically elements of this in the finished movie where they're using their plumber skills. They, like, screw with, like, the heat systems. And in this, right. they, like, screw with the power so the lights are blinking. Some lines about tools, how you can re- really rely on tools or whatever. <laughs> um, and then, all right, we got, so then they're climbing through the ducts of the building. And all three of you guys, let's read this scene here. It says page 92 at the top. Interior uh. Twin Towers, ventil- ventilating shaft, night. Mario and Luigi are crawling along on their bellies. They come to a fork. Once again, a decision. Mario looks at Luigi. Why are you looking at me? Wherever I say you'll go, uh, wherever I say you'll go the other way. So? Left. Okay. They take a right. Uh, this, I mean, all of these kind of have their weird bickering in this, I guess. Yeah. It's, uh, the idea. I think this might even be in the actual movie of, like, Luigi having, like, shortcuts he likes to make and Mario, like, always wanting to do the opposite. Anyway, they take a right, they're crawling through the ducks, then they see something. Twenty feet away is a man sitting with his his back against the shaft. He looks exhausted, drained, covered in dirt and sweat. There's an automatic pump gun cradled in his lap, and he's picking shards of glass from his naked, bloodied feet. When he turns to look at them, he looks exactly like Bruce Willis. Other way. Uh, thanks. They crawl back towards their own movie. Uh, okay. I like this. Says they crawl back towards their own movie. They uh, yeah. crawled into the wrong movie. Okay. How's that? Sit this is like. This feels like you remember like when they would do those parody movies, epic movie, yeah. you know, or whatever. This felt like that. Feels like that where they just like give you exactly a thing. There's no statement on it, no parody of it. They just kind of like here's a thing you recognize, huh? That, yeah. That's kind of almost a joke. I mean, this feels a little bit like in Wayne's World 2 when Robert Patrick shows up as the T-1000, and in that there's not really a joke. They just do a scene from Terminator, and I laughed real hard. Yeah. But uh, that's also Wayne's World. Yeah. So like that movie's like really bizarre and fourth-wall-breaking kind of throughout. Yeah. This movie's not. I mean, I don't know how this would have played. This The script's really- All people would have been going nuts. They would have loved it. Woo! 
But yeah, would Bruce Willis have done this? Well, uh, a Tim Miller, who's Since one he of... he looks exactly like Bruce Willis. Yeah, this is they already time. banking on yeah. Bruce Willis not doing this. I mean, this. if you couldn't get Bruce to do it, you can't do this. I think you could get him at... This is after Hudson Hawk and Uh-oh, Striking Distance. So he needed... But yeah. he would be like, I'll do it, but you got to pay me $10 million. <laughs> well, I was going to say, yeah. I feel like this is the kind of thing where if I was making this movie, I would really want this to cut, and then they'd... Tim Miller, one of our Sonic producers who did the new Terminator movie, told us a great story, which was that like he... He underestimated just how much everyone loves Arnold. I don't know if you guys saw the new Terminator, but there's like a key mm-hmm. part in that where Linda Hamilton sees him for the first time after like decades. And it's like this intense scene with super serious music. And she's like freaking out because she sees the guy who killed her son mm-hmm. in the movie. But then he said that in all the test screenings, the moment Arnold stepped on camera, the audience was just like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, huh. Yeah, this, this movie is not going to play the way that he thought it was going to play. Um, I had to, had to make some slight so You changes. never know. You're probably right. <laughs> Audiences would have lost their shit over this uh, Bruce yeah, and I mean, like, really, like, the play to get Bruce Willis is hoping that he has kids who like the Super Mario movies, and maybe he would have done it. The Super Mario or movies? Or the Super Mario games, yeah. I'm sorry. No, there's no kids who like the Super Mario. But that's movies. why this is called the Die Hard Draft. Yes, and I guess because it has this element of that they're like through. crawling through the building for half the movie. Yeah. Um, sure. <laughs> um, and then I mean, it's all basically the same. Um, in this, like Hark, is like becomes a full on good guy helping Daisy, uh, and he shoots Bluber. Uh, the middle management jerk-off character, saves the brothers. <laughs> um, there's this really weird scene where Daniela and the rest of the kidnapped girls are breaking out, and they, like, flirt with the Goombas. As, like, like an escape <laughs> thing? Like, hi, that yeah. sort of... Oh, there's even a line of description here. Whatever Goombas are, they are not immune to this kind of come on. Um, <laughs> the Goombas they are even, sexually into yes. human women. Even the writer has no idea what they are. Like, whatever they are, they, this works, I guess. <laughs> uh, this is the script where we introduce the idea that Mario uses a bomb that's like gets away from him and is kind of crawling all over the place, unrelated, which is a device uh, I did not mm-hmm. mind in the actual yeah, finished sure. movie. Uh, that's just some some basic moviness. Yeah. Uh, Daisy, in this, if you recall, is still uh, the descendant of portal keepers. She's not actually a princess. It's just mm. she's part of some very specific race of people who are the only ones who can like operate the portal. Yeah. It's all just going way too far into the lore. Or, like, way too far into their own personal <laughs> lore of it, I guess. It would, I don't know, it would be like, like giving, giving DeviantArt people, like, keys to a movie. Where they've got all, the, they've got their fan characters and their whole thing figured out. And you go, oh, this is too much. This is way too deep of a universe. That's true. Um, and so, whatever, you know, they win. This is now introducing an element that's in all the rest of the scripts, but then not in the final movie. So we're going to see this kind of evolve over a few scripts here. So let's read this. Um, page 116 for you guys. Uh, or do you have 117? I have 117. All right, so I'll just read in the lead-in that's on the previous page. So um, 
where exterior street, Brooklyn, everyone's celebrating. It's a block party in the middle of quintessential Brooklyn. The host is Eddie, and it's he who just smashed a bottle of domestic champagne against the side of a streamlined, custom-built, state-of-the-art plumbing truck. Eddie holds up a hand of er, to silence. Uh, this is a great day for two great guys, the Mario Brothers. Correction, the Super Mario Brothers. He gestures Mario forward to address the crowd. Two sober-suited Japanese executives step forward. They give polite bows to each to the brothers. Excuse, please. You are Super Mario? You are Super Luigi? The guys nod. That's us. We have contract. We wish to make deal. What are we talking about here? Clogged drains? Slab leaks? Copper repipes? We want rights to adventure. (laughs) Look, all that happened was there was a job to do and we did it. We're back in business and any future jobs, large or small, ourselves and our operatives will be glad to handle it. Angle on Iggy and Spike. They wear gleaming white overalls with Super Mario Brothers with a Super Mario Brothers logo. The camera pulls back to reveal the Mario Brothers new van. The paint is hardly dry in the letters which read Super Mario Brothers Brooklyn's Best. So and these guys titles. were Nintendo executives who wanted to make a game out of well, their uh, and this gets approved in the other drafts. I like that their dedication to them using broken English actually <laughs> makes what they want unclear. We want rights to adventure. <laughs> I can imagine hearing them say that and being like, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and thank you for giving that line to me, as I have to measure, uh, make sure I'm not using an accent or anything. And it was impossible reading. for it to still not sound offensive, yeah. no matter how neutrally you read it. I would have gone. Like, <laughs> oh, you would have gone hard. Full Mafuti. Full. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, uh, it's, uh, Steve. I don't know if there's that much to set up for the next draft. Is basically just yeah, it's their a, next draft. Yeah, it's. A couple of weeks later, the, the draft you just read was March 3rd, um, 1992. This next one's March 25th, 1992. Oh, and they were moving. Yeah. yeah. It, it looks like this is the one that they were building sets for and everything. I mean, well, they, they had a, they bought a like rundown construct, um, c- was a cement factory in North Carolina and they started building sets. Uh, the production designer for Blade Runner was doing it and... So they had like in one room they were working on all the creatures one you know and uh, production designer was building everything on the sets and yeah and this looks like the one that got Dennis Hopper and John Leguizamo interested this draft that we're about to go into. And by that they mean the one where they offered Dennis Hopper money and he was like <laughs> in. <laughs> yes, well he comes in like a week into production it looks like so later on. Well that's so. what's crazy cuz it's like in some ways uh, this process is a, a little similar to what we had on the Sonic one where there was a previous script that we had nothing to do with that was like a whole different version of the Sonic one Yeah. which not to get too into it but then that one like the Sonic game is real mm. like that's part of the world um, I guess that explanation made no sense well, it makes uh, a little bit of sense so yeah. Uh, so like the Sonic people knew or had reference in that script of who Sonic was like the characters knew who Sonic was yeah like was. when Sonic's walking around people are like oh my god it's Sonic the Hedgehog the super famous video, video game, game character, character yeah. okay um, so it's more like our world 
Yeah. Sure, it's reality. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, in in, in the, the current Sonic movie that's coming out or has just come out, oh, yeah. like it's it's still our world. The one difference is that there is no video game called yes. Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else is the same. <laughs> okay. I mean, but I feel, that's a world I don't want to live I feel, in. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's how adaptations usually work. When you adapt, Mo- when you adapt Moby Dick, uh, Ishmael's not sitting around reading Moby Dick. And it's like, it's weird that we're... There's also this actual white whale that we're hunting down. Have you guys read this book? This does not turn out well yeah. for any of us. All the characters uh, have the same names as us. It's yeah. very yeah. strange. Yeah, touche, touche. Um, <laughs> but uh, but then it's like then we kind of started over, and much like this process, uh, we spent while we're, this movie kept wildly changing. The difference was that we never wrote a draft of any of those. Like there was like about a two-hour period in one day when we were all slowly going crazy uh, where the movie was maybe going to be where Sonic's like a space criminal who comes to Earth. <laughs> yeah, he like crash lands on Earth having stolen a Chaos Emerald or something and he like lies to whatever humans he meets and like says he's this hero like we know from the games but then we reveal that was all a scam but then he has to become a hero by the end but don't we never got very far down oh, that path man. we like talked about it and laughed real hard and then we were like wait we can't do this everyone will murder us <laughs> <laughs> and threw that right in the trash but this is why it's good where you hire writers and then you give them time rather than keep hiring new writers to write new scripts because then that's in the super mario brothers world some poor idiots would have gone off to write this sonic space criminal movie that no one wants and turned it back in. I mean, in. I want that movie, <laughs> but not for the reasons that, that I should want that movie. I guess it would have been more like Lilo and Stitch, because yeah. in that he's like a lovable oh. space criminal, if you remember Lilo and Stitch. I don't, I don't remember him as a noble space criminal. but He's uh, not noble. He's like a horrible monster. Yeah. That's, that's Stitch's arc in the movie, is he goes from a horrible space criminal um, to... He's like kind of like a doomsday device or yeah. something, isn't he? Yeah. He was created as like an ultimate weapon and has like a bunch of multiple so, arms. But and... you're assuring me no draft of this no. space criminal. Okay. I, don't I, don't like, I don't know if I we even never wrote even got turned into like an email. If we raised <laughs> enough money on Patreon, could a draft happen? <laughs> it's just that's what happens when you lock people in a room and give them a very short period of time to think of a movie is at some point they slowly start going insane and thinking of things they should not be. So wait, wait, who was the one who said, no, not this, cancel that? I assume our director at okay. some point. Yeah. Because uh, we are very open to exploring an idea. Sure. Uh, further than maybe we need to. And I think he was... After being like, ha, 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 ha. Then when we kept talking about it like an hour later, he's like, no. (laughs) Or maybe that was like, maybe that was like the end of the night and then we all went home. Yeah, we came came back back. in the morning and we're like, wait, we we left off on Space Criminal. Yeah, exactly. And everyone's embarrassed. They look at the whiteboard and go, this is terrible. Yeah. We have to burn this. Well, speaking of whiteboard, our favorite whiteboard joke was that for a while we had like a version where. Sonic's home world was going to get like completely screwed up and I possibly guess, completely blown up even in the Yeah, first maybe scene, even but full death star. We wrote up, you know, nightmarish carnage on the whiteboard and then those words like stayed there through the entire <laughs> the entire writing was, process yeah. and kept getting like bloodier and more explodey. Yeah, even, even when that was no longer a part of the movie, <laughs> just again to remind ourselves that there'd been that day where there would have been a part of the Sonic movie that you would have referred to as Nightmarish Carnage. Um, 
So I'm telling you, this is what happens when you get Tim Miller involved in your movie, though. Yeah. Murder. Was he down for the nightmarish? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was. He was for it. Uh. He's Tim Miller. Yeah. <laughs> you don't hire Tim Miller and not get nightmarish carnage. He loves blood and destruction. <laughs> um, where did we leave off? Oh, right. This next draft. So, again, this is just more script drift. This is now where Gloria's finally named Bertha, the name that stuck. Toad is still moving all over the place. Now they meet Toad in their jail cell sort of Count of Monte Cristo style. But in this, like Count of Monte Cristo, he's old and grizzled and his face is lined and weathered. Um, another thing that keeps changing in each draft is who the character is <laughs> that they completely de-evolve in the de-evolution chamber, which, as we discussed before, was a scene they shot in the movie but then Right. Edited the out. The guy explodes into goo, and that's what Koopa slips yeah. on in the movie. Uh, and this is just a random character named Wart who gets completely mm-hmm. de-evolved grossly. So that, that was the first thing they shot, because they were like, we definitely want this in the movie. We don't know what the plot is, but we definitely want a de-evolution chamber and slipping on goo. That's locked. Let's get that <laughs> <Yes>. day one. <laughs> I mean, I will say, uh, as we've talked about the finished movie, not a great movie, but it's <laughs> undeniably super weird and unrelated to how well it adapts to the Mario game. It has some things in it I like. I, I've always liked the de-evolution chamber and the idea that you can, that like in the movie that the original king was de-evolved into like a spore and yeah. now he's basically haunting the Mushroom Kingdom, even though that's a really gross interpretation of what makes it the Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. like instead of being shaped like a mushroom, he's more just like slime. Yeah, disgusting. Oh, yeah, that whole fungus. movie is kind of collapsing under the weight of the source material because the whole time you're watching going like what is any of this why is any of this Super Mario and maybe if that was out of our heads and it was just an original thing that was not a Super Mario Brothers movie just a movie maybe that's I a mean, movie you'd watch and be like ah yes this is I a mean, movie that's 20% as good as Demolition Man yeah no I wouldn't watch that movie <laughs> it sucks it was awesome Wait, Steve you had something you wanted to add about the the fungus yeah. yeah so it looks like the fungus was inspired by the vines that are a minor element in the video game. Oh. And the, the fungus took over from that. Rocky and Annabelle, the directors, invented this idea that an old king had gotten de-evolved de- de- into a kind of primal orga- organism. Excuse me. And a few <laughs> of the cells escaped and began growing into the fungus. But the fungus with a conscious mind. And um, so each script developed um, David Snyder, the production designer from Blade Runner, he said that the fungus was sort of a metaphor for the mushroom element in the Nintendo game. So that's where that fungus comes from. It's a metaphor. What does it, what, yeah, what does it mean? There are mushrooms yeah. in the game. <laughs> oh, yes. good metaphor. Yeah, exactly. I feel like, I like the idea on paper. There's probably a way they could have made it work. Yeah, well, those mushrooms are really When they, when they really got to gross. like the king's chamber... He could have been shaped like a big mushroom, like a classic, you know, mushroom like from the yeah. game, and yeah. like have red and white spots. Yeah, like that would have helped. Well, I think with a lot of this too, it's like, uh, and I guess because we're, you know, we're behind the curtain on the industry, as it were. Uh, but I feel like, you know, it's like casting the wrong actor for a part. I feel like when you hire writers or directors, especially like these guys, are like you're the max headroom guys. 
That's the yeah. movie you want. You can only blame them so much for making a Max Headroom version of Mario Brothers. The argument is maybe they weren't the people. That's a very I, good point. And when you get hired too, it's like that's part of it of like do you do what you think that the they want or do you do what you think they want based on the fact that they hired you you know like we had that discussion yeah. too it's like they hired us so they must want us to do something that's kind of us like you know yeah, yeah what from Tim. our samples did they like yeah what, yeah well it's like yeah i mean they had tim miller and jeff fowler who worked with tim at blur and at that point we got hired we're best known for doing like R-rated comedies and like yeah. offensive things. So I think we all were sitting in a room and being like, "Well, apparently, <laughs> no, no, nightmarish carnage." Super. I mean, which I think was what we had to do too. I mean, because I think earlier in the process, like we don't really know a lot of details about what happened on this before we came on, but that there was talk of making a movie that was more like Alvin and the Chipmunks or Garfield or something, mm. which is like. When we all parachuted in, we were like, well, the number one thing this movie can't be is Alvin and the Chipmunks. Yeah. You know, this has to be an action movie, and it has to be so, have something that's to cool about it. Sonic was cool. That was what made him different in the yeah. 90s, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Sonic's cool. You heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, speaking of the fungus, uh, we got one scene to read here uh, that's very fungus-heavy. In the uh, fungus room. Yes. Um, All right. So interior Koopa Tower, fungus room, night. Daisy is enveloped by fungus that writhes and twists, coiling tighter around her. The door bursts open and the brothers enter. Luigi, help me. Uh, Mario tries to figure out how the weapon works. Suddenly a jet of flame shoots from the barrel. Whoa, perfect. I'll barbecue the sucker. No, turn it off. What's wrong with you? Let me talk to it. Let you what? Luigi, please! Luigi concentrates, talking directly to the core of the fungus. Listen to me. We are Koopa's enemies. We are here to destroy Koopa. Let her go. I don't believe this. You're like one of those weirdos in Central Park who hugs trees. Don't you remember what Toad said? The fungus hates Koopa, which makes it our friend. As if to demonstrate his trust, he gently picks up some of the twisting coils. The fungus responds. Slowly, it starts to release its stranglehold on Daisy. Mario is staggered. Luigi is not surprised. (laughs) He steps into the tangled parting mass. He reaches out his hand and pulls Daisy into his arms. She hugs him. Mario is now a convert. His eyes scope the room, and he addresses the fungus self-consciously. I, uh, I I don't know who I'm talking to here, but... Thanks. Uh, (laughs) That's that. You like scribbled out the line. Yeah, yeah. That's it? We're done. We don't need to keep going. You just get the idea. Man, he could have, that would have been a great scene for Mario to swear in, though. It's like, perfect, I'll barbecue the motherfucker. Yeah. He could have thrown just one of those in. No, I think this I think Mario movie just needs more swearing. It should have been like The Witcher. Mario's catchphrase is just, fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know if you guys have watched The Witcher. I mean, great, like, great catchphrase. But like that's like a, the the dark Super Mario movie could work now because we grew up with Super Mario. You know, where you go like, oh, kids that liked it. Now it's like an adult version. But it's something that was just four children at the start, and then they're like, <laughs> we're gonna make an adult version. <laughs> that's true. Why? Oscar-winning Mario Brothers movie. Um, this movie does have one sequence that would have been cool, but I'm assuming they ultimately determined was too complicated and expensive for an already increasingly expensive movie, um, but which is where the two universes, the Mushroom Kingdom 
uh, and Brooklyn in our world are like merging. Uh, and as you know, it's suddenly weirdly images from Manhattan start to superimpose themselves over the scene. Yellow cabs and pretzel vendors, a bag lady pushing an overloaded supermarket cart. There are neon signs for Broadway shows. A New York cop finds himself in the middle of a parallel New York traffic snarl up. Uh, everyone's like, what the heck? There's a whole thing where Lena suddenly appears at a Broadway show where they're performing Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> All this weird stuff. Blah, blah, blah. They win at the end. And let's... Uh... Well, yeah, That's the ending they actually wanted to make really bad. Because then the babam goes down Cooper's throat on the Brooklyn Bridge. But they were like, this is going to be too much money. So they went with the... What is it? that um, The Supra Scope gun that turns him into like sludge instead. Yeah. yeah, they went with more less of a, an expensive ending. I mean, the end of the... The real movie, like when he goes to the, con- he gets to the real world and like blows somebody up with his de-evolution gun, and then they like go back to the other world. That really felt like I was like, oh, well, we got until lunch to do the climax of this movie. <laughs> yeah. What can we crank out here? Yeah. Oh, totally. Well, and this again ends. We won't read it though because they're, for some reason they're not in the scene. The Japanese gentleman are still oh, there yeah. at the end. They're sticking with that instinct. Sticking with that end, but this time uh, it's Daniela is relaying the news to Mario, and she's like, they want the rights to your life story. At least they've clarified <laughs> now <laughs> what they want. Uh, and for some reason, Mario was just like, plumbing is my life. Like, no, I don't want money. Yeah, yeah it's like you're not required to do anything yeah. to sell the, yeah. those, those rights, Mario. You can still, you can still be a plumber and yeah. sell your the life to your rights, yeah, uh, your you, life story, right? Your agents call that mailbox money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but now things start to get crazy again behind the scenes, Steve. Yes. Um, yeah, according to the director, Rocky Morton, what caused the biggest problem was the fact that we went into production with a script that Annabelle, Annabelle and I liked and was originated by Dick Clement and Ian LaFanay, who wrote The Commitments. And what happened was the producers were getting reactions from the studios that this was a bit too dark. We were, And then Annabelle, the director, said, we were charging along full speed. Everything was going gangbusters. And then all of a sudden, a new writer was brought on board, Ed Solomon of Bill and Ted, to make it more family friendly. Um, also, Ryan Rowe was brought on also, who wrote Tapeheads, who was like a script doctor at the time. And also, Rocky and Annabelle, the, direct, the directors, were forbidden to talk to the new writers because of the time Always crunch. Always a good sign. Oh, yeah, geez. because now it's like they're going to start shooting in May and it's April. But that, that time crunch doesn't really make sense that they're forbidden to talk because of the time crunch. Well, yeah, the it producers, makes it more likely the writers are going to write yeah. something that the directors don't want. Um, but I think maybe at this point the producers didn't care what the directors yeah. watched. Yeah. Which again goes back to the idea of you hire people to do yeah. a certain job. So, so at this point, they were saying, you keep your Max Headroom aesthetic out of their computers. They're going to write the new movie. Yes. Yeah, so, well, the, the, the new script came in 10 days before shooting. And according to the director, he said he had the entire movie storyboard. And then when the new script came oh. in, the, oh, no. it, the, the script had no relevance to his storyboards. Oh, no. He ended up wheeling them out into the parking lot and torching them. <laughs> And then, and the now, storyboards or the yeah, script? The, now, the no, story the screenwriters. Boards, the, yeah, the, wow, the screenwriters. That's how Ed Solomon died. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, now they had this brand new script, and they had all these sets that had already oh, been built, no. and so 
And here's like another quote. I remember when the new script came in, we had a phone call. Um, Annabelle was calling, was casting in LA and I was building sets in North Carolina and we both just read the new script. We called each other up and said, this is terrible. We've got to get away from this movie. It's not the movie we wanted to make. And then we discussed it and discussed it for hours on the phone. And then in the end, we thought, well, we can't let everybody down. We're building the sets. We're the only people that really understand what's going on. Another director coming on board the project would be completely lost. But at least we knew all the characters and could piece the new puzzle together. And so, yeah, and then the next draft would, you know, April 17th, 1992, which was called online the Disney sci-fi romance draft and then and then um, yeah so then production started in May uh, and they were at the time going for a Christmas 1992 release that they will so did they push back production a little bit? No, they just no. They went on. <laughs> they just give you an ulcer thinking about in a circumstance like that, like what they yes. could have done is like when you hire these new writers, it's like you got to tell them what sets you've already built. You know, yeah. it's like we've done little rewrite yeah. jobs where we're like we go on and we're like this character sucks. Can we just cut them? And they're like no. It's yeah. like can we move the scene? No. It's like these scenes are going to happen. This is locked. in these locations. Yeah. You got to just rewrite the dialogue and make it make sense. Yeah, yeah. which well, is a thing you can do. It's not ideal, but at yeah. least yeah. that would get What's you a movie. What's also aggravating about reading all these drafts and just thinking of the time and money they're wasting is to be like that other draft is not working at all. Mm-hmm. So we're hiring two completely new writers. It's like, it's still basically exactly the same as the other one. It wasn't like yeah. they wrote a one, like we're not even really going to read much from the script because it's still basically what we've already been talking about. This one like introduces the character Lemmy, who's a street musician who gets turned into a Goomba. So Toad. And then he becomes mm-hmm. Toad. Like it's mm-hmm. all still basically the same stuff. This has an element where Daisy is like, the pendant is like the source of her, I don't know, like life energy and she needs it to survive. So while it's missing, she's going to be like slowly dying. They added that kind of ticking clock to it. Um, but really, it's like the only other that I think really notable difference in this, even though the scene's still basically there, is when they're in the was the boom boom bar. Now it's the Koopa Cabana. Okay, uh, that's better. <laughs> is in that there's like script writes some like original songs. So Mario is like slow dancing with Bertha, which is in the movie to try to get yeah. the pendant back from her. Uh, just a sample of some of these lyrics. Uh, is like. When I first touched your reptilian skin and that toad-like green ooze trickled down your chin and you belched and I farted, that's when everything started. Now I just gotta ask, and this ain't just a line, should we slip under your rock or mine? Whoa. Actually, I'm gonna keep going. This is great. (laughs) That sounds like Lady in Red. That's how I'm picturing it. Uh, My rocks got maggots and your rocks got worms. My rocks got mildew and your rocks got germs. My rock or your rock, Baby, you set the terms. Should we slip under your rock or mine? Uh, holding you close it's with your putrid <laughs> perfume. I told you they wrote entire song lyrics. Uh, holding you close with your putrid perfume, which is killing the mold in this ill-smelling room. I want to dig up our dirt if you don't mind. If I blurt, should we slip under your rock or mine? Where's the bridge? <laughs> um... And then that's okay. like the, that's like a slow romantic song. Wait, is 
there another song? There's another song. Oh, the, uh, the Ninja Rats. And then there's one that's there described. There wasn't time to write this. <laughs> they had to write the whole movie. Yeah. They're writing these stupid little limericks. They would have just made them make them up on the spot like I did with you guys in that <laughs> other episode. Uh, now this is a very popular, very upbeat song, which everyone knows the words to. That's not as good. Uh, but the chorus is everyone yelling, uh, everybody, hey, we want meat, not some foo-foo grass to eat. Okay. Foo-foo. Foo-foo. All right. Because uh, lizards like meat, I guess. Yeah, they like insects, angle. right? And, uh, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Unlike those dumb but mammals. Too. Yeah. You know, the dumbest part of this is like, you know that there was like an arbitration you know, argument like we created the Koopa Cabana, which is completely <laughs> different from the Boom Boom Room. Who ended up getting credit for the script on this movie? Uh, Ed Solomon has credit, and I think. Oh, that's a good question. Actually, and I think the cause... guys uh, Parker and Runt who yeah. wrote. The it, like first of the Max Headroom phase. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, what ended up happening now is that two weeks into the shoot, Ed Solomon got a call, and he said, "When I got down there, Rocky, the director, had cut it, had cut up the script with a bunch of other stuff he liked from other drafts and a bunch of new stuff, literally oh. chopped into pieces and taped it together. <laughs> there was no through line on set. There was also a sense that nothing was certain. The production designers and special effects people didn't know what they were building. The actors had arrived and they didn't know what they were playing. There was a general sense of what the fuck is going on. Wow. And so Ed Solomon... He splits, and then the producers tried to rehire Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet off the first two drafts we just read today, and they weren't available. And Parker Bennett and Terry Runty, who wrote the Ghostbusters-type draft we left off on last episode, they were visiting the set, and they were approached by Jaffe, the producer, to help. And so they kind of stuck on board for the rest of the, the shoot. And they also... Six months later, after they did the first test screening, they're the ones who wrote that opening, like, little animation thing. Mm. Oh, okay. Um, and so um, that's probably why... Oh, I'm sorry. And I was just say, and to clarify, I just looked it up. The final credit is Parker Bennett, Terry Runt, Runte, pardon yeah. me, Terry, we don't know how to say your name, and Ed Solomon. Yeah, it, it's funny, because you, when you watch a movie, you go, like, how did they make something this incoherent and then you hear this story you go it's amazing something so coherent was made no I agree <laughs> like oh. this production was a total mess wait maybe just just closing this out draft out before you go into more details Steve oh, yeah, no uh, I just want to continue <laughs> to track the evolution of the Japanese businessmen trying to buy their rights <laughs> um, yeah, this no is problem. again Daniela's relaying it to Mario so the Japanese gentlemen don't say anything and now she's clarifying it a little further they want the rights to your story for a video game. And Luigi's like, what? That's crazy. Uh, oh, and this also ends with the newspaper headline, Plumber Marries Dinosaur. Wait, who married the, uh, <laughs> Luigi. Luigi and Daisy? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because <laughs> she's, uh, I guess, part dinosaur because she's from the Mushroom Kingdom. Right, I guess but she's she... able to pass for human. That's wow. Like... <laughs> That's the ending image? Plumber marries dinosaur? Yep. I got to say, the other drafts of ending on Super Mario Brothers is a better, better ending. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, better it ending. ends with that, and then it says, the end, and then another title pops up that says, it could happen. Then so if, that's the literal end. Then if, <laughs> then if you watch the movie and you go through the end credits, there's a there's a little scene with uh, Fisher Stevens and that other cat we mentioned from Ferris Bueller. There with, is? Yeah. Oh, oh, I turned it off before. Yeah, we yeah I turned the, it off so fast. Yeah, because I... <laughs> 
because I think at the time they thought it was going to be a hit, and they thought maybe Fisher Stevens and that guy could do like a spinoff or something. Uh, but continue yeah. with our okay, behind-the-scenes so, mayhem. Yeah, so Terry Runty said that when they were on set, um, their only instruction was to cut and make things less to film, pretty much. So they were pretty much chopping away at the script. But anyway, the movie would eventually come out on May 28th, 1993. It came out the same day as the Sloan movie Cliffhanger and that Whoopi Goldberg, Ted Dancing movie, Made in America. And so it, and it debuted in fourth place with $8 million, and it would, the $48 million movie would go on to make $21 million. And oh, So it did better than Cats. Yeah, it did better. Oh. But, but the ironic thing was, we discussed in one of the early episodes, Tom Hanks was offered the role, and they didn't want him. And then Sleepless in Seattle came out that summer and grossed over $200 million, So two hundred. Well, and if we're tracking yeah. the this kind of... This would have ruined Tom Hanks' career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he kinda... did not need this movie. But yeah, it was a heavy summer. I mean, you had Jurassic Park, Last Action Hero, and, you know. And the May, at that time, May movies weren't like... This was probably the kickoff of the summer, I'm guessing, with Cliffhanger. So, But yeah, that's that's pretty much the, the story there. And I was going to say, if we're also tracking the, like why people get credit and don't details. Uh, Ed Solomon introduced uh, the idea of Iggy and Spike getting, like, evolved more so they become smart. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think he introduced, finally, that Daisy's the princess, though I'm not sure because that, in the drafts we have, that doesn't show up till the final draft where Parker and Runte were hired back to try to like slap it all together, which is also one of the most common illogical things that happens. That you behind get the fired season. and hired back? Yes. <laughs> like they're like, you're not working out, so we're going to waste all this money and time flying in a billion different directions and then just end up hiring you back again. <laughs> and then you're just like, what did you do to it? <laughs> and now I got to yeah. clean this up. <sighs> Yeah, but, it, but I, I thought one of the stories that came from set was interesting. Was remember that scene in the elevator where all the goombas are, are like swaying along oh, yeah, the, the dance? dance. Yeah. Which yeah. I will that say, was... for people who like the movie, that mm-hmm. is one of their favorite scenes. In I the mean, movie. it's one oh. of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah, that was that was on set that day, created by the director. He was really? like having a really bad day. They were just gonna. If, if you look at the Rainbow script, by the way, the last script was called the Rainbow Draft, and there was no white pages left. It's not in that draft. Uh, the director had like a moment of like losing his mind. It was like, I can't just have these guys go up an elevator. And right then and there, he, he came up with the sequence. So I, I think that's pretty cool. They get a lot of, you know, harsh criticism. But well, again, <laughs> maybe they were the wrong guys to make mm-hmm. a Mario movie. I still would have been curious to see what their unfucked with version of it same like you know yeah. they were allowed to make the movie they wanted to make instead mm-hmm. of just being, yeah like how yeah. uh lord and miller got fired from solo because disney was just like this isn't oh, turning yeah. out as a star wars movie and it's like well first of all you hired them yeah. like did you watch their other movies did you not assume they were gonna try to make it as hilarious as possible and i uh wish we could have seen that movie me too um but so yeah, now the Rainbow Draft is basically just the shooting draft. Everything's the same. Koopa's now a germaphobe. Daisy's a full-on princess. Um, but, and this will be the last thing we'll read to end our journey here. I think everybody's involved with this. Is this one still ends with the scene <laughs> with the Japanese executives? Uh, if we're already 
This is after the initial closing credits. Fade in, interior Nintendo boardroom day. Four earnest-looking Nintendo executives are huddled at one end of a conference table, beaming with enthusiasm. I am not doing an accent. Do it. <laughs> no, don't do it. Uh, don't listen to him. Well, I must say, this is a very exciting proposal. A video game based on your adventures. What would you call it at the other end of the table? Spike and Iggy are looking at each other. Super Iggy World. The indomitable Spike. Oh, Iggy and Spike. Now, Iggy and Spike's incomparable adventures. Super Spike and Iggy World. They continue riffing on names as we fade out. Music kicks in again. Credits continue to the end. Perhaps at the very end we fade in again perhaps. on Iggy. <laughs> I love the confidence of not the perhaps. Even sure. <laughs> oh, maybe the, we fade in on Iggy and Spike for one last really ridiculous suggestion. The assiduously indefatigable <laughs> Iggy and Spike and their audacious exploits. As chronicled by Spike and Iggy. Cut to black. Wow. Indefatigable. Indefatigable. I don't like it. Remember they went through that machine and they got smarter or their vocabulary got better? Oh, okay. (laughs) So that's also how they they were able to navigate the business world and get this meeting and all through their their brain smartness. The brain smartness. (laughs) The real brain geniuses. (laughs) Ah, What a crazy journey, you guys. Oh, man. Mm. uh, When you guys asked me to do this, I had no idea it was going to be... Uh, Do you regret uh, it horribly? (laughs) (laughs) And now your life will never be the same. I will say in the interim between the previous episode and this one, uh, I saw your tweet wondering if the world's largest rubber band ball from the Sonic movie was inspired by... I was just yanking your chain. But you guys had what? The world's largest ball of twine? We had the world's largest ball of twine in an episode of Sonic Boom because I have been to the world's largest ball of twine a couple of times. It's in Minnesota. Yes. Darwin, Minnesota. Which I was just saying. The Weird Al song, the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. that that is where we got it. We just didn't want it to literally be the world's largest ball of twine. Okay, so we, you we're from Minnesota, so. Yeah, we'd previously done a similar gag on Golan the Insatiable where they stop at a roadside attraction, the world's biggest box of wine. Okay. <laughs> like the Midwest is, ball uh, of twine? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Look, if you're from Minnesota and you grew up in the 80s, Weird Al's biggest ball of twine yeah. in Minnesota was a real was, uh, cultural touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was our Woodstock. I yeah. wasn't in- accusing you of theft. I just had a head cannon. I'm just that saying, I, you that, son of a bitch. You stop. <laughs> You cut it out. <laughs> oh, man. Madness. Well, uh... Madness. Alan? Hey. What do you got going on? Um, what should people look for from you, you in can, the new you, future? You can find me on Twitter, uh, at Alan the Writer, A-L-A-N, the Writer. Um, otherwise, I don't know, you might see my name pop up on cartoons from here and there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that's pretty much it. Any Sonic Boom news of any relevance? <sighs> Uh, well, I think the the like the director of animation for Sega said in an interview that Sonic Boom ended. So that's how you found out for <laughs> no, reading I, it in the press. Listen, <laughs> I just I kept getting emails and tweets going, "What's going on?" And I'm going like, "Listen, if I tell you something that's newsworthy, that's a problem. Yeah. I can't deliver things that are newsworthy." But also, I, I'm you know not going to get your hopes up. And I was playing this weird. This weird tightrope. Then finally, this interview comes out, and he said, "Sonic Boom ended." I went great. 
Great. And so now I just point people, go, look at this article, all right? <laughs> and then form your own opinions. Uh, and Pat, what do you got going on? Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Pat underscore KC, letter K, letter C. Uh, and uh, I wrote this movie, Sonic the Hedgehog, that has just come out on February 14th, and you guys should all go yeah, see it. And hopefully mm-hmm. it was not a big, stinky bomb. Oh, no, yeah, we're recording this happen. before we see how the public reacts. I think it's going to be a big a big hit. But um, That would be nice. I vote for your version of reality to come fruition. But like, mm-hmm. the, the journey that it went in public perception, we're still pre-release of the movie, but just like it's the... The biggest, like, like, just from everyone hating to now, kind of everyone excited, and nothing has. It was a big swing uh, from bad to good in terms of public perception. <laughs> yeah, and I know there was a lot of work behind the scenes to make that swing happen, but uh, I don't know, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm excited. I've noticed that some of the toys they've been releasing, you can tell were the original oh, design, no. and they're just kind of trying to fudge, <laughs> like, he's got white gloves now, mm-hmm. um, which I understand. It takes a lot of time to develop these toys. Yeah. <laughs> Three months isn't necessarily... It was enough time to redesign a character that had not really been animated at all. I don't know about toys. So. Yeah. That's pretty cool. You got toys for a movie you wrote. That's dope. And a novelization, <laughs> yes. which Steve is very well, excited well, about. Well, I remember yes. there was also, like, at, at, like, Party City, they had the scary old Sonic as a get, costume. I really want, I want to go as that for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to make my own that's even more, like, tooth-based or something. That's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, somewhere in the vein of, you know, uh, uh, the Beetlejuice Gina Davis look she gives herself, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, in between when we recorded the last batch of these and this one, they did that sketch on SNL where Eddie Murphy had made a uh, oh, yeah. Sonic the Hedgehog cake with like human teeth that comes to life. <laughs> that was pretty, right. pretty trippy. <laughs> That's great. All right, guys. Well, uh, for those listening, you can also find Steve and I on the social medias where we like to post behind the scenes uh, like concept art and that kind of stuff for the projects we're talking about. You can yeah. find us at Best Movies Never Made on Instagram and at Never Made Film on Twitter. And if you're a fan of the podcast, you should also check out Electric Surge's other podcasts like the 430 Movie, which is on it every Friday, and Inglorious Trexperts, which is the only podcast for Star Trek fans with a life, which is available every Saturday where you listen to podcasts. Also, a special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Network, including our producers, Mr. Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman. And so until next time, this is Stephen Scarlett. And I am Josh Miller saying we won't see you at the movies. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.